done and done. Show the bill passes. Lawmakers deliver and fast. Any individual who wants to hitch a free ride to a sanctuary state has the right to do so, and we're helping them do so. Moving migrants, displacing Disney, replacing prosecutions. We're going to make sure that there are no special legal privileges and that they're abiding by the same laws. We've been in a culture war in this country for 50 years. Shut up and sit down, do as I tell you to do, okay, and fix a bad decision I made, and fix bad choices that we made. That's, that's why we're here. And game on for Florida schools, the bill that helps big names earn big money, and the local lawmaker who quarterbacked it. The winners, the losers, the details, and lack thereof, all live on this special, special session edition of This Week in South Florida. Good Sunday morning. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin with a whirlwind week in Tallahassee where at least one of the new bills now headed to the governor hadn't even been written when the special session started on Monday. That one was the bill to replace Disney's Reedy Creek self-governing board with board members of the governor's choosing. He and supporters call that an end to privileged corporate kingdom. Opponents, though, call it punishment for Disney defying the new education laws revisiting gay culture and sex education. Generally, the supporters are Republicans, opponents are Democrats. And with a supermajority, Republicans passed all the bills they went to Tallahassee to pass, including a multi-million dollar plan to transport migrants from Florida or anywhere to elsewhere. And that one that makes legal fixes to a previously covert operation run out of the governor's office last fall. Another bill makes changes to the plan to prosecute election and voting related cases since many of the high profile ones against felons who unwittingly voted illegally have failed. But wait, there's more. And we will get into all of that this hour with our South Florida reps and senators from both sides of the aisle, as always, from a partisan free perspective. And we begin right there with Representative Danny Perez, Republican from Miami. Rep Perez, Danny and Glenna works for me this morning. It's great to see you. And that works for me as well, Glenna. It's a pleasure to see you as always. And so thank you so much. I know it's been such a week and giving up a little piece of your Sunday from your family. We are very grateful for that. Um, I want to start with, we'll get into like the devil of the details in a couple, but I think that migrant transport bill got so much attention and so many headlines, so I kind of want to start there. It's a, it's a shorty, it's three pages, easy to read, and within the body of the bill, it outlines the why that the Biden administration, according to lawmakers in Florida, have has failed in border security, that Florida needs to protect its citizens. That's all enumerated in the bill as it outlines why $10 million is allocated to transport what it calls, the bill calls, inspected unauthorized aliens. So are the optics then, the governor says the optics are a deterrent. Do you think so far, I mean the bill isn't signed yet, but so far with last fall's trips, are the optics a deterrent? Well, I think we have to start from, from the beginning, which is highlighted in the bill, and you briefly mentioned in the question, Glenna, is, is why are we doing this? What's the purpose? And the reason why this bill is necessary, the reason why it passed with a supermajority in both chambers, um, it's simply because the federal government isn't doing their job. President Biden has been tasked with making sure that our borders are secured and 
he has kind of put that task to the side at best. I'm actually being kind. And that's unfortunate. I wish I didn't have to feel that way. I wish we didn't have millions of people crossing the border undocumented, illegally, and unchecked. But because of that, we have a job to protect the state of Florida. The governor has taken that job very seriously, and so has the legislature. And so what we've done is we have used those same exact funds that was passed by the legislature last session to be used by the state of Florida and, the, and DEM, uh, the Department of Emergency Management. We've done that because we've noticed that in Florida, we are starting to get affected uh, by the loose and lack of regulation uh, and oversight by the federal government when it comes to immigration. All right right so here in our own backyard in South Florida, we had 300 uh, Haitians that, that came on our border and Cubans um, that we're trying to enter this country undocumented. And it's because of that that we had this special session. Understood. Okay, so so with that said, I want to sort of take a step back because the deterrent that this is supposed to be, aside from um, what it outlines protecting Florida citizens, the governor himself said this was meant to be a deterrent. We want people to know that this is not going to work. So, so this bill um, and the previous bill that you just mentioned and the flights to Martha's Vineyard for Venezuelans from the border that that Florida flu was gl made global headlines and yet just a couple of months after that there was a surge right on our own shores in Florida and um, and to your point this week hundreds of people on a boat landing in the Keys so is this message do you think proving to be a deterrent and before we get into the I want everyone to know we're gonna get into this bill a little bit but but have you is it a deterrent Absolutely, it's a deterrent. The problem is that it's you can only do so much as a state. This is truly a federal issue, and we don't have the right leadership in federal government to make sure that these people aren't crossing our borders undocumented. But we're doing as much as we can here in Florida. But there's a couple things that are important uh, in, in, in the details of this bill, Glenna, that I want to make sure we point out. One, this is purely voluntary. The only people that will be getting on these transportation vessels or vehicles will be people that voluntarily get on that transportation device, whether it's a plane or a bus. On top of that, they will completely sign releases. No one is getting kidnapped. No one is taking outside of their wants from where they're at. Yes, it's used as a deterrent, but the people that are choosing to get on these transportation vessels, they will be able to do so completely voluntary. And on top of that, we are only taking them to, to places where local governments and municipalities have asked for there to be a sanctuary city in their own backyard. And so we're taking them to places where they asked to be a, a drop-off, asked to be a sanctuary for undocumented and illegal immigrants. And, and so we're, we're, we're not disobeying the laws of where they are being transported to. We're not disobeying the laws of the state of Florida. What we're doing is we're trying to do as much as we can with the limited ability that we have as a state, together with the governor, who's done a phenomenal job of protecting the border of the state of Florida, to make sure that people are deterred from coming undocumented into our own backyard. Okay, two questions from that. Um, the, the people that are going, the people who will be volunteering, in the bill, it specifies that these are people who have come ashore or over the border who have been processed, who have Correct. been paroled, um, admitted, so to speak, into the country to wait for whatever claims they have to go through the courts. And at the actual title of the bill is Transport of Inspected Unauthorized Aliens. But just by virtue of being admitted and paroled while they wait for their court processes, they're not unauthorized they are authorized so that's kind of a I don't know kind of a little bit of an oxymoron that I'm not sure I really understand so the bill says unauthorized people but these people are authorized just by virtue of being processed 
Am I, well, am I mixing author- apples and oranges there? Because that's confusing. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, Glenda. These are these are individuals that are undocumented and they are unauthorized. Obviously, they are getting checked in uh, by by the federal government when they when they get to the border, but they are quickly being released as soon as they they cross that border. There there isn't any accountability. There's no green card given out. There's no visa given out. All we're doing is we're giving them free permission to roam about the cabin freely, which is the United States of America, with absolutely no accountability. Well, these are the these are the same individuals that yes, they are given uh, a court date to come back and 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 do their proceedings by the federal government and their immigration laws. But in that meantime, if there's something that that they are willing to do, which in this bill would be an example, getting on an airplane to take them to a sanctuary city, then they will be able to do so. This is complete, completely voluntary with the same funds that the legislature voted last session. There is no additional funds that are being put into place. And the only thing that we're switching is we're switching it from DOT to DEM in order for that flexibility to take place. But all of those details are important. It's important for our viewers to understand them. But Glenda, the most important part of this entire question is why? Why are we doing this? And we're doing this because the federal government, President Biden, have both done a terrible job, a very poor job of securing our borders and have allowed millions of illegal and undocumented people cross our borders. And that's that's something that everyone should be concerned about, regardless of what side of the aisle you, you sit on. Um, and, and I have heard people from both sides of the aisle absolutely concerned about that, to your point. Okay, back up one little bit more. So take into sanctuary cities, uh, documented cities that do accept and welcome migrants uh, from wherever while they wait. So there's nothing in the bill that I saw. Again, it's three pages long, so there's not a lot of detail really in this bill. For um, for the Department of Emergency Management, who is sort of shepherding this bill, and Kevin Guthrie, the head of that, was on our program a few weeks ago. There's nothing that specifies that these locations, wherever they may be, Martha's Vineyard or elsewhere, be notified that these migrants are coming, are being transported from Florida. So it is that part, is that communication part of the process to to really ensure the safety and well-being of the migrants so that these states could prepare to receive them? That That's not specified in the bill. Is there any component of that that's that I'm missing somewhere? Two things, uh, Glenna. In, in the premise of the question, uh, you spoke about uh, cities that welcome migrants. Um, the United States was built on, on migrants. I think we all accept migrants. Well, point the taken. I, is, I didn't mean anything. Right. The difference is subtle. By and, that. No, and I know. Yeah. And by the way, Glenn, I know you are you are you are one of my favorite because you're always so fair. Well, but I think for that. that's an, that's a, that's an important <laughs> distinction to make because we all welcome migrants. We just welcome them in a in a way that is legal, in the way that is processed, in the way that was following the rule of law. And and that's a, that's an important distinction to make before yes. I answer your question. Yes. But for example, Martha's Vineyard. But right now, if someone were to cross the southern border undocumented and illegally, once they enter the United States, if they were to show up in, at Martha's Vineyard, uh, there would abs- there would be no notice to that to that local government that there is a person heading their way. Absolutely not. Um, so this this bill uh, doesn't talk about the details or speak to the details of of what notices will be given to the sanctuary cities. Quite frankly, because the sanctuary cities haven't asked for that. They have said we have open doors to anyone and 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 everyone that that comes to our backyard, regardless if they are documented, undocumented, legal, illegal, regardless of their background, criminal or not, it doesn't matter. That, that is exactly why we banned sanctuary cities here in Florida. We wanted to make sure that if there is a criminal in our backyard that is undocumented, that we can do something about it and that we can actually uh, um, uh, abide by the rule of law in our own backyard. These other cities have said, no, we're okay with that. We're not going to abide by the rule of law. If you're a criminal that is undocumented and you're in our backyard, 
this is your safe haven. This is your safe harbor. Welcome. You're here to stay. And that's that's exactly why we, we picked those cities. They have asked for that. And so we're just abiding by their rule more than anything. Okay. Um, well, a lot more to talk about. Can I take up a couple more minutes of your time? We wait for a commercial break and be right back. With Miami State Representative Danny Perez with us talking about a couple of the bills in special session. We could go for a few hours on all the bills, so we'll narrow it down to just a couple. Danny, I wanted to talk about the bill that um, sort of changes Disney's Reedy Creek Control District, governing district, to uh, renames it, actually leaves it largely in place, but gets rid of the governing board, and instead the governor uh, will be appointing the governor, the governing board of Reedy Creek. This, um, this was kind of done last year as a dissolve and then what you all did was didn't dissolve it just renamed it because dissolving it would have stuck central florida residents in osceola and orange county with a billion dollars of its uh, uh debt reedy creek's debt and that nobody wanted that to happen so what i i guess the first question is what why now in a, through a partisan lens i've heard your opposition say well this is retribution for disney defying the governor on the parental rights bill um what, why, I'll just leave it wide open. Why now was it necessary to do this? I would, uh, I would answer your question with a question, and I, I would say, why not? Why not right now? You know, and uh, look, Lena, we were concerned that taxpayer dollars were being uh, used incorrectly. We were used, we were concerned that eminent domain was being used incorrectly. What we've done is we, we've put some teeth into the special district. Um, the special district will still exist. There will be a different name. Uh, as, as you stated, which we've already voted on. But there is a big difference here, and that is the composition or the body of the board on that special district. It is going to be a governor-appointed um, board with five different individuals. But here's the, the most important part of, of the appointment process that most people aren't talking about. The appointees have to be vetted and processed by the Senate. So there has to be a Senate approval process that will take place where every senator will have an equal vote regardless of party, and they will get questions. And I can tell you, because I've already seen this with other agency heads, it doesn't matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. Every senator takes their job very seriously. And I have no, dot, no doubt that President Pasadomo is going to do the same. Uh, but it will get vetted, and then, and then once it, get, it gets vetted, they will be on this, uh, on this board within the special district. But to, to those that are kind of asking, you know, well, this was supposed to be a negative towards Disney. It was supposed to be a negative towards taxpayers. They were concerned of a tax hike. Uh, by the bill that we passed during special session that, that, that here we are putting kind of the bows on it. Um, and I would have to tell you, Glenna, that there is no tax hike. The concern that, that Floridians had, uh, sometimes that from, from the calls that I got, uh, well, this is going to increase taxes. It's not increased taxes, but we are making sure that there will be a, a board that will look after the special uh, needs of that community and making sure that their taxes are, are used properly and aren't increased. So what was the Reedy Creek Governing Board doing something wrong? I mean, they've been around for, what, longer than we've been alive, I think, but had they done anything wrong? Yeah, well, what we had noticed was some of the funds that were being used, uh, we don't believe they were being judicious in, in the use of that. And to go back towards how I started the, the response, the eminent domain, domain process uh, is something that's very sacred. When we're talking about private property, uh, granted, we're, we're very thankful for, for the jobs that have been placed uh, in Florida by those that have chosen to make Florida their home uh, to the tunes of sometimes you know tens of thousands of jobs. But at the same time, the expansion of private property is, is something that has to be looked at. And that's exactly why we put that portion 
in the bill. We wanted to make sure that there was a process for that. And these five individuals, uh, men and women, uh, will be able to kind of make sure that the special district is abiding by the privileges that, that, that they have and that have been given to them by their own voters. Their voters chose for, the, chose for this, this makeup uh, or this composition of the special district. And so uh, these five individuals will be vetted properly by the governor uh, and the Senate, and then they'll begin their duty. So this bill deals with just that one governing district, the Reedy Creek District, but there are others in the state of Florida. Um, the Villages is one that's sprawling Central Florida adult community, has its own governing board too. Um, and I noticed in on the special session, there was a Broward Water Control District that was sort of reinstated as its own. Uh, explain the differences. What are the differences between the Villages Governing Board, Broward's Water Control District, and Reedy Creek, which is being Absolutely. replaced? Uh, absolutely. R the main difference is we want to make sure that the taxpayer funds, the, the hard-earned dollars that Floridians are giving to the government in order for the government to do the services that, that, that are their duty, we want to make sure that those dollars are being spent properly. We did not believe that Reedy Creek was spending those dollars properly. We believe that the increase in taxes that was taking place in the Orlando area was something that that those people should not be putting in the in the pockets of special districts. Uh, the villages hasn't had that property. We believe that has had that, that problem. We believe that they've been uh, judicious in their spending. Uh, we haven't seen the taxes increase there in comparison to what was formerly known as Reedy Creek. Um, and that's really what we're here for. We're here to make sure that we protect Floridians, sometimes protect them uh, from the special districts. And uh, in the scenario of Reedy Creek, we believe that, that we did so. You know, um, with uh, session, real session, authentic session coming up in March, and we're going to have so many bills to sort of chew over. And I hope, despite the short TV time that we have together, I hope you will join us again on Sunday mornings. And, um, you know, maybe I promise your family a box of donuts or something in return. <laughs> Do you, I think both of my kids would uh, would welcome that, especially my son. He just turned he turned three last weekend. I know. And, he is, and instead of a cake, uh, my wife gave him a cake of donuts. So I think you're right on. <laughs> you're on the right path. Sugar fix. Thanks so much, Danny Perez. Great to have you aboard. Thanks, Glenna. Take care. All right. And up next, the other side. Florida Democrats tried to make a mark this week. The rest of that story is next. This week's special session, the speed of it, the foregone conclusions of it, your first look at what to expect from Florida's legislature this year with a Republican supermajority in both the House and the Senate. This week, Democrats literally did all they could to impact the outcomes with their input. They filed insurance and housing bills. They proposed amendments. Everything rejected. State Senator Tina Polsky, repping Broward and Boca Raton, was one of those trying to influence the direction of the session right here with us right now. Now, Senator Polsky, uh, Tina and Glenna work for you also? <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. That's great. It's great to have you aboard. Thanks for being with us on this Sunday morning. You know, um, I want to, before we get into a couple of the bills, um, I wanted to sort of get your firsthand perspective what it was like for you and your colleagues and your caucus this week to be sitting in those committee hearings and on the floor of the, in your case, Senate and know that you're not going to get anything done. What was that like? <laughs> uh, well, we don't really think we're not going to get anything done. I know I personally have some great bills that I'm proposing. I have a hearing next week. Some really important things we're going to work on. I, I guess um, I'm talking we, about this this particular week, this uh, one week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. Uh, 
there not only are we in the super minority, but uh, special sessions are foregone uh, and it's a terrible way to govern. And I think your audience needs to understand that it's a one, two day process with each bill and there's no testimony, there's no changes, there's no amendments, there's no opportunity to make bills better, whether they're good bills or bad. And there's just no interaction. And normally in normal session, a bill is never the same as when it starts and everyone works on it and there is a collaborative process. So special session, especially this one is, this is the governor saying, uh, I made some mistakes and I'm in legal trouble on a couple of important issues and we need to change the law to adjust to the things that I am doing. So this is really overreach beyond anything we've ever seen before, but the governor himself is changing the law to affect the executive branch. So we are not a co-equal uh, part of government. And that's exactly what happened. The special prosecutor, the migrant bill, and Reedy Creek were all fixing things that he had done wrong earlier. And he was facing legal consequences as a result. Okay, well that said, let, let's get into a couple of those because that said, you have um, a majority of lawmakers who are supporting these bills, who voted yes, and you, you heard, I know um, your colleague and I know your friend, Danny Perez, just a few minutes ago, uh, really backing and explaining and defending why the bills are necessary. So let me, let me start with the migrant transport bill. Um, there, again, a three-page bill that outlines why that the Biden administration, according to the bill, is just not doing its job defending the borders, that Florida residents should not be impacted by that. What's wrong with assisting the transport if this comes to pass as voluntarily and willingly taking people to other places while they're waiting for their assignment claims? I mean, essentially, what, what's wrong with that? So there's a couple of really important uh, facts here. Um, what's wrong with it is that um, the bill, as you mentioned, statement, what Biden is doing wrong, and that's what Rep. Perez said. They are giving their political as to this bill, not the practicalities of how and how and the ways that it's going to get done. They're just talking, they just want to score political points. That's what this bill is about. So well, let me, let me just, um, before, before you go on, and I'm sorry to interrupt, I just want to get your perspective. I mean, the border security has, I think, by all accounts, really, has been the Biden administration's Achilles heel. Um, and it's about border security. It's also about humanitarian and legal immigration. So do, do you think that Florida has a role to protect its citizens in whatever way while border security is being handled, if, if it's handled? I do think Florida has a role to play to protect citizens. What's wrong with this bill, that this bill is not dealing with this. So what they changed from the prior bill to the one which is currently being litigated in court. And the reason, as I mentioned, they changed it because he was going to lose that case in court, potentially. So they changed the law to adjust to his program. And the new program takes out the requirement that these migrants are in the state of Florida. So tell me how it hurts Floridians um, to be worrying about migrants in other places. Um, and it only hurts us by spending our taxpayer money going into other states, for example, going back to Texas, rounding up people, offering them flights to, you know, they call them sanctuary cities or blue states, blue cities, and sending them off. It has nothing to do with the state of Florida. 
And here we are appropriating another $10 million. And I asked the question on the floor, are we going to have a competitive bid process for these private charter planes? And the answer from Rep. Angolia, excuse me, Senator Angolia was, no, there's no time. So what kind of stewards of our money, our taxpayer money, are the Republicans now? Where is fiscal conservative? Where is small government? They are going into literally other states, finding migrants and taking them to other states. If we were talking about Floridian, you know, people who are in Florida, migrants in Florida who are causing trouble, then we have um, law enforcement to take care of that. But you mentioned humanitarian efforts. This is, you know, they're, we're just not caring about these human beings, shipping them around the country and making political points with them by taking them to places like Martha's Vineyard. This does not help Floridians in any way. In fact, it hurts us because they've already appropriated $10 million and spent countless millions on the last uh, joyride that they took. And there's no accountability whatsoever. They wouldn't answer questions about that. Uh, we asked lots of questions. What does it mean to be voluntary? Uh, they said they can go where they want. So I'm picturing there's going to be five private planes and you get to choose what city you want to go to. That's not practical. That's not going to happen. The, uh, um, they don't understand the bill. The bill, like you said, is two pages. It doesn't say anything. The, well, that, that was kind of from a um, public service news standpoint. It, it's challenging for someone like me to read a three-page bill without details and, and wonder how this is going to go. And I think, you know, largely we're going to sort of see how it plays out in real time. But the, the one part of, um, of the bill that also was not answered was the fall flights that were done under the Department of Transportation also with a no-bid contract to a company called Vertol Systems. Um, I guess maybe that's why it was moved to the Department of Emergency Management so that no-bid became part of an emergency. However, there, this company is sitting with about a million and a half dollars for services not yet rendered. What happens to that amount of money with that particular vendor? Lena, well, I wish I knew the answer to that. We have asked for that information uh, Minority Leader Book sent a letter to the Department of Transportation Secretary Jared Perdue months and months ago. It has not gotten answered. The um, Purdue came before us in a um, in uh, committee and appropriations, and we asked him to um, we asked him to um, explain. And there was no time in the budget to talk about it. So um, in the budget committee hearing, we asked him to come back, and they haven't done that. So they refused to answer the question. Short. All right, Tina Polsky, Senator Boca Raton and Broward, sit tight if you would. We have a couple of minutes for a break and we will do more on the other side. Thanks. State Senator Tina Polsky, Democrat representing Boca Raton and parts of Broward, talking about a few of the ses special session bills. Um, Tina, the uh, what, I, what I call the elections police bill, uh, which is not the name of it, statewide prosecutor bill, um, essentially looks like it more clearly defines what election-related crimes, the uh, attorney general's office and a statewide prosecutor can go after, of course, in light of the very high-profile arrests of voting felons last summer. W what does that change? So last year, we came up with uh, the genius idea to have, as you said, the elections police squad. 
And um, again, as I mentioned in the prior segment, to clean up the mistakes the first time um, where the governor had the statewide prosecutor prosecuting these 20 folks who were arrested, uh, you know, manhandled uh, because they went to vote because the state had given them a voter registration card. Uh, so they were arrested and detained um, simply for voting, um, perhaps illegally, but the, you know, it, it was way too extreme, uh, the measures that they took. So the statewide prosecutor uh, was assigned to these cases and several of those were dismissed by the judge saying they didn't have the proper jurisdiction. Why are they using the statewide prosecutor? Because certain local state attorneys won't prosecute these you know, non-dangerous, uh, potentially non-illegal um, crimes that they're being accused of, these folks. Uh, you know, it's hard to say whether it was illegal for these people to vote if the state gave them voter registration cards. So if local state, state attorneys are not going after these people and the governor wants to, then he's going to ask the statewide prosecutor to. The statewide prosecutor didn't have uh, jurisdiction over these cases. So once again, the, the executive branch told the legislative branch to change the law to fit his narrative and what he would like to do. And the legislative branch rolled over and did exactly what he's asking for. So this new bill, uh, one of the six that we passed uh, in this special session, created a change the um, some of the uh, the kind of cases that the statewide prosecutor can prosecute to enable them to go after um, people who are voting potentially illegally. So I, there is so much confusion. If, if there was confusion about the statewide prosecutor's jurisdiction, there certainly was confusion with some of these voting felons. Um, I, I think, to for some of the ones that we reported on locally, um, the the statute they were charged with had to include intent, and clearly, to us anyway, some of these felons had no idea and weren't intending to vote Absolutely. legally, to your point, yeah. they just had a voter registration card. But um, can I play just devil's advocate for a moment here? Sure. The, <laughs> is it valid that lawmakers Republican lawmakers, the governor, governor want to really fine tune election security and make sure that nobody votes when they're not supposed to be voting. And this might be the way to do that. You will not find a Democrat who disagrees with fine-tuning our election security. That is not the issue whatsoever. But having you know a police force, exactly what we thought would happen would happen, and that is targeting, profiling, and going after these people. There were people who voted illegally. Uh, I think there were several in the villages. They voted multiple times. Voted uh, you know in a dead person's name. Um, and those people were prosecuted properly under the law. The, our state's attorneys can handle these very few instances of election fraud that go on anywhere across the state. But creating a police force, it's like they have to justify their existence. And if you recall, in Broward, you know, right where we are, uh, the governor came down with, you know, sheriffs behind him and tried to scare people about voting. And I believe it was before the election, if I if I am recalling correctly. And we thought it was voter intimidation. You know, don't vote if you don't think you can. Uh, you know, we're coming after you. And then these very high profile arrests. You know, physical arrests, like putting people in handcuffs for voting. We I mean, think about that. Um, and there was a lot of confusion because the state did play a role in them voting. So we are all for election integrity. And that is not the issue here. The issue is 
promoting a political agenda, not wanting, wanting certain people to vote, and trying to intimidate others from voting. If they're not sure that they can, then what are they going to do? They'll just stay home because they saw people were arrested. You know, in the short time that we have left, um, this was not part of special session, but it is going to be a very big part of session coming up, the permitless carry bill that was filed. Um, we are what, two days from the five-year mark of the Parkland catastrophe? I know you were so involved in that. Uh, I believe you filed Jamie's Law this session, named for Jamie Guttenberg, uh, that closes the background check loophole on ammunition. Am I right? Is that filed? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. I did file that this year uh, with Representative Daly. Uh, it's our second year doing it together. Um, you know, if we were working on, if we cared about the number one cause of death in children, which is gun violence, we would be looking to reform our gun laws and make everyone safer. If you need a background check for a gun, you should have a background check for ammunition. Um, among other laws that, you know, we are trying to pass, and I've been working on, you know, the whole time that I've been in the legislature, safer storage of guns, banning ghost guns, banning assault weapons. Um, none of these are necessary to someone who wants to have a gun for, uh, you know, their self-defense. But when you have two enormous mass shootings in our state, and we made a little progress on gun safety after the Parkland massacre, and to go backwards now with this bill this year, again, purely for political reasons to help the governor run for president, uh, permitless carry is putting people um, on the streets with guns hidden on their person or in their car who are untrained and unvetted and unchecked. And I don't know why anyone thinks that more guns is safer. If having more guns would make us safer, we'd be the safest country in the world. We have more guns than people. Uh, but if we don't take a hard look at what we are creating and creating more opportunities for violence and someone who loses their temper and the guns, you know, in the back of their pants and they're online at Publix and, you know, what's to stop people from losing their yeah. temper or on the road, road rage? We actually... Uh, um, I am so scared for what might be happening. We, we talked a little bit about this last week with uh, Representative Randy Fine from Brevard, who was one of the sponsors of the bill. It, interesting to me that they're um, in this permitless carry, it, which is, you know, has many supporters, many, many opponents, but there are also components to strengthen school security where it comes to firearms. Um, I'm guessing you would wholeheartedly support <laughs> those things. For sure. I mean, the Senate version of the bill had uh, several school safety initiatives. I have voted and co-sponsored uh, school safety initiatives on their own. But, Glenna, it's so political. They are couching a very dangerous bill um, wrapped up in, you know, something that's more palatable, like school safety. There's even a canine program. I mean, who doesn't love dogs and safety dogs, right? But, you know, how can we vote for a bill that's going to increase the number of guns and increase the number of people who are untrained and not been vetted carrying guns around? There's a reason why thousands of people do not pass the concealed carry weapons permit test. And so now, no more test. And they are just out there with guns. Um, to wrap it in uh, you know, school safety uh, to make themselves feel better, you know, that's fine. Um, I still can't vote for the bill. That doesn't mean I don't care about school safety and care about the people I represent in Parkland. It, it's my number one issue all the time. I love these people. Yeah. I love these parents. I'm in touch with them all the time. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's so political. It's so obvious what they're doing 
And, uh, you know, I know it's going to pass, so I'm glad there will be some, maybe some good parts to it, but it's just so cynical and uh, it's truly scary. We, um, it's so political is going to be the headline starting March for session, <laughs> I think. Um, and so I hope you will join us again as these bills, this and others go through. And we certainly do appreciate your time today, Rep uh, State Senator Tina Polsky, Parkland Broward and um, Boca Raton. Thanks. Thank you, Glenna. Okay, up next, Florida reps and senators agreed unanimously on one bill this week. It's all about the players, and the quarterback of that is here now. back and forth over bills this week, all the debate, all the controversy, one bill waiting for the governor's signature passed the Florida House and Senate without any opposition. Unanimous, not a single no. It's all about evening the playing field for Florida's college athletes to be compensated for their own marketable name, image, and or likeness. State Rep Chip LaMarca, Republican from Fort Lauderdale, was the quarterback, the coach, taking that bill in for a win. Enough cheesiness. Chip, great to have you aboard. <laughs> the sports metaphors, they're just too easy. They just, they just come. So, um, so great to have you this Sunday. Thank you for saying yes. Um, the, this bill, I feel like you have been shepherding this bill for years. There was a 2021 law that this now replaces. W what is the difference now between our college athletes being able to be compensated? Yeah, so th uh, thank you for having me on and thanks for uh, the time to talk about this important issue, uh, considering there's a lot of other important issues. This was a timing issue and, you know, this was always going to be a two-step process. When we passed the bill in 2020, we put some guardrails up because uh, we we were concerned with maybe retaliation from the NCAA. Um, they, now, they have a new leader and I've been in contact with Governor Baker from Massachusetts, who's now the, the head of the NCAA. And I think you know, moving forward, uh, we'll, we'll uh, trust but verify. And I think he's gonna be a good leader. That said, we had guardrails that pro, uh, prohibited a lot of our universities from having uh, involvement and communication with athletes of every sport, gender, uh, and connecting them with deals. In other words, if uh, you know, if there's a car dealership in Miami that wanted to get a hold of the quarterback at the for the University of Miami Hurricanes, they were prohibited from making that uh, contact and communication. So, uh, how the bigger did, part, so how, without that communication, how how did they do it in the first place? Well, the, a lot of deals were missed. Uh, a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. were missed, and that's why when you say Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, other states that compete directly with Florida. Uh, with our, our schools in different conferences had some advantages. So this this will even that playing field. But the bigger part of the bill for me was looking out for our college athletes and making sure they have the proper education for financial literacy, life skills, but now even more importantly, entrepreneurship training, which will help them in, in their uh, endeavors to start their own business. I actually was going to ask you that because in, in reading through the bill, I mean, financial literacy should be mandatory for everybody mm -hmm. and it's not. And I have seen in my own firsthand world how what a, an Achilles heel that could be. So especially for athletes who could come into a lot of money very quickly, mm -hmm. that portion of the bill is, is really gold. Yeah, that was that was the most important thing for me. And in speaking to people like Senator Corey Simon, who was a was a Blanche Ely graduate, Florida State champion uh, through FSU, and then played in the NFL, you know, he looked back and said, "Well, this would have been great to have when I was there." But here's what we need to look out because these are certain things that 
you know, someone's not going to know. And it, it could be whether it's, you know, we've all seen the stories, whether it's Bernie Kosar or it's uh, an athlete that uh, may not have had the training in the household, but uh, now that now they're going to have it. And for me, that was the most important part about this legislation. Yeah. So this sounds like it's kind of also about the ability for Florida schools to recruit, because if other states have different laws where, you know, potentially athletes can go to school and make much more money, that this was a recruiting issue, I suppose, right? Uh, well, so technically, under the under any of these uh, state laws or, or the NCAA's guidelines, you're not allowed to use uh, NIL possible deals. Certainly not sign any prior to an athlete signing with the school. Uh, so you're not allowed to use it for inducement to bring them there. Obviously, if they know that Florida is a very uh, you know, very good state economically and there's opportunities for for athletes once they've signed at, for example, Florida Atlantic University. They can go, you know, work with the local businesses in Boca Raton and, and North Broward, for example. Um, so it's it will help in the long run, but uh, they can't really recruit based on it. They, but uh, the opportunities are we're, we're obviously going to, you know, market the opportunities that once those athletes are there. So what are then the guardrails to guard against a a pay for play? Well, uh, you know, the universities need to constantly look to do better at compliance. Uh, there's a, I'll give you an example. There's a company right out of uh, Broward County called Athliance that, that are doing a great job with collecting the data, collecting all the deals. It's not only going to uh, be gold, you know, gold information for compliance, but as uh, in my conversations with, with, uh, with Governor Baker, yeah, the big issue that people want to find out is, all right, what's the market value? What's the market value of a diver at Miami versus, you know, another school? What's the what's the value of, uh, you know, certain positions in certain uh, sports? So uh, I think really the compliance piece is, is what's going to, to keep schools from a guard up perspective from uh, getting it to pay for, pay for play. And, we, and we've seen it already. Should they try? It's, they're going to people are going to try to do that. I would get that. Do you do you know what the market values are? Have you figured any of that out? So uh, this is kind of like feeding the information into the the machine, right? I mean, uh, if, if a offensive line lineman or a quarterback or a female soccer player who scores a lot of goals, you know, is uh, is being compensated, uh, you know, at a certain rate in in uh, kind of the southeast, we'll start getting real values. I mean, obviously, if somebody says, "I'm going to give you ten million dollars to." to uh, you know, do one commercial at my car dealership, then you know, that doesn't pass the smell test. So I think the, the values will come uh, as more deals are done and we'll be able to kind of aggregate and uh, you know, value what uh, each position at each school is, is kind of worth. You know, this is interesting because for, I guess, the vast majority of college players, they don't go on to the pros. So their marketability right. as a great player is probably now <laughs> or right, as they right. play. And we're, and we're, and we're, you know, I just had the privilege of being present for the retirement and, uh, and uh, of Louise Crocco at Cardinal Given. She won uh, 20 state championships for girls volleyball. For the most part, after you know college, there's not a girls volleyball sport unless you're in beach volleyball. So to to maximize your name, image, and likeness while you're in college, this really is the time to do it. Yeah. And really, with the entrepreneurship piece, this this will hopefully you create a brand based on you're playing a sport. But if you do it right, you can create a brand. You know, that, that's uh, you can be an influencer. You could be uh, be on TV every Sunday, whatever it might be. But, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's it's about building your brand and, and learning how to how to enter the business world. You know, while you have this opportunity, so it, it it was just such a waste before any anybody could do this that 
you finish and maybe you're you, you go into law enforcement or you go, you go into a financial right. office somewhere and you used to be a player playing a sport but you couldn't do anything about it and you know you saw video games and other people benefiting off of uh of that. Sure. Chip LaMarca, great to have you with us. This was this is really interesting because reading that bill wasn't as mm -hmm. clear as you were right now. <laughs> so well, thanks so much. Yeah, to finish the puns you were doing, uh, we, uh, we've kicked this off to the former captain of the Yale baseball team, uh, our governor, <laughs> on the bill. Excellent. We'll be watching. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. Thank you. out at Glenna WPLG on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember, keep in touch.